wait, wait, you, you want me to be like funny haha or funny what I'd do with David Tennant and Nathan Fillion with two hours and a bottle of baby oil? Oh, oh, okay. Um, hi, this is Julie Maris from Wicked Unscripted, and here comes Sci-Fi Saturday Night. <laughs> We will begin in mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. Believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye bye Saturday night. Welcome once again to another Area 51 recording of Sci Fi Saturday Night, the only podcast to guarantee that if you listen, you hear stuff. You know, normally at this point, we, we would say, if you listen, you'll see stuff, but it's not a video podcast, which is a shame because tonight we're going to be talking about a short film, uh, and it's a really cool short film, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, this is TalkCast number 456, where we're heading into the fall season, and uh yeah, the world is getting weirder by the frickin' minute. Um, I don't want to talk about how weird and odd the world is getting, uh, but we're still in pandemic show mode because of the need for social distancing. So Area 51 is uh, locked into, uh, I'm, I'm in my plastic bubble. Uh, the World Wide Web is clogged with grandmas showing pictures of uh their dogs and stuff and and for fourth graders who can't figure out differential calculus and all the rest of that crap so because of that it's it's me and and uh, <laughs> pro professional golfer captain cam um now i know that a lot of you don't know that captain cam turned pro this weekend in mini golf uh, and was immediately taken off the tour when his mass mask slipped into his eyeglasses during a, a very difficult putt on the wind wheel, and he had an owie, and unfortunately now is forced to wear a cast for the next six weeks. We've outfitted him in the Area 51 infirmary, so the crackle that you hear from time to time will be the the uh, ice pack on his owie wrist. Captain Cam, are you okay? Are you going to be able to make it? Oh, no, that's fine. Sorry. Um, the, the, I, <laughs> the full body cast is fine, Dom. But seriously, it was only you know a minor injury to a minor part of my body, and you had to go with a full body cast. I did. I did. I insisted he have the full body cast because I, I got it. I got it painted green so that it looks like he won the Masters tournament, but he didn't. 
<laughs> I appreciate that. And it, it, you've got to believe, Dom, that, that those the, the mini golf, you know, that they play at the pro level is so much more difficult. I mean, they have, you know, the, the water hazards have octopuses with buzz saws. It's just not it's just not the same. You know, it's 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 dangerous. I mean, I consider myself blessed. I got through with only the little owie I got. All I can say is for the next six months, this is going to be the funniest thing I've ever had to make fun of you about. That's all. I'm sure. (laughs) And perhaps, perhaps in May, we'll let you out of your body cast, but not until then. It would be nice. Thank you. (laughs) Um. In July of of 2016, I was my face was pushed to a Kickstarter page where I was shown the story of a, a young lady looking to get funding for a film, which at the time was called Lilith in the Garden. That young lady, four years later, has finished the film, changed the name of it, uh, not her name, the name of the film, and her name is Emily Lawrence. And Emily, after four years, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thank you. I'm excited to be back. I am so excited to finally talk to you about what has become Becoming Val. Because, first of all, when we read the write-up on the film, the first thing I did was back it. (laughs) Well, thank you. Literally, in the first 10 minutes. Because independent filmmakers I love. I love the idea. I loved the concept behind what you were doing. I loved your background as a writer, as an actor. Uh, And I just said, let's see if we can make this one go. And you made enough money, enough seed money to get the movie going. I did. Yeah. But it took four Four years (laughs) did you really think it was going to take that long oh god no i did not think it was going to take this long i still can't believe it took this long um but it did uh and i'm just glad that it's that we're now on the other side of this four years and i can say that it's done (laughs) now now last week was it last week or is it do we uh you had a Kickstarters only um, uh, virtual premiere. I did. Yeah, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. I forget exactly. And uh, that, that was because I was there. Oh, cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was one of them. Yay. And, and it was, it was, was, what is it? Is, was it fun for you to have a kind of audience, even though it wasn't? the kind of audience you wanted for that kind of a premiere? 
Well, um, it was wonderful to finally be able to share it with the people who supported it and made it possible. Um, and I've had many friends and family and you guys who followed up with me over the years and asked me what happened with it and is it is it still gonna you know come out and, and everything and um so it was very rewarding to finally be able to say here it is this is this is what you gave me money for <laughs> and I appreciate it and I get finally get to share it with you and so that was really wonderful um and it, it was it was you know in some ways I wish that I could have had the experience of premiering it like in a theater um and done that whole thing um but you know, my family, I live in Los Angeles, my family is all in New York, and, and I have many friends in New York, and they wouldn't have been able to attend a, an in-person premiere here anyway, and so in some ways, it was actually very nice to have a virtual premiere so that everybody could see it all together, um, but, and I'm submitting it to film festivals, so maybe it'll have its true public premiere at you know, a film festival, and I'll get to experience that sometime next year when it's safe again. What was it like as you were finishing the movie? And we'll talk about the actual movie itself and the process that 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 whole ginormous four-year process that you went through, not just as a writer, but as a producer and as the actor as as the main actor in it which by the way you were really good in can i say that without being like totally fanboyish about it it was a really really nice job really nice job thank you <laughs> um but i'm how was it when you reached the point early in 2021 2020 realizing shit, the theaters are going to be closed when this is done. You know what? I think I was just too excited it was done. Um, and because I didn't I didn't necessarily know it was going to finish because this kind of limped along. Like, we actually, we had our first cut, I think, with we shot in May 2017. We had our first video cut within a month or two after that. And then just one thing after another came up, and it, it just, it limped along. And so I it could have been done at any point in the last four years. Like I was waiting for this or that or this to happen. And, um, and so for all I knew, it could have taken another four years at the pace we were going. Um, and so, uh, I, I didn't necessarily know it was going to finish. I kind of took advantage of the pandemic and the fact that a lot of people were home and not working on other things to be like, Hey, let's finish this. And so I was just glad that it worked out and I'm not, I'm not at all like resentful that I didn't get to premiere in theaters or anything. And I'm hopeful that maybe next year I still can. And you're looking at a lot of independent film festivals to, to bring this to, because I've, I've got to tell you, um, well, you know that we pestered the hell out of you for three years. <laughs> it <laughs> Every, wasn't yep. interesting. I felt guilty. I mean, Every time you reached out, I was like, I hated having to say, I would love to, but I have nothing to say to you yet because it's not done. We, we, we have a list of people who every four to six months will go, you know, we haven't heard from them yet and we kind of need to. And I really want to know how that project's going. Shoot them an email. Let's see what's going on. Well, I love that you guys did that. I, I appreciate your persistence and I'm really happy to be here. So, <laughs> so for those 
who weren't the original 98 backers of the project, uh, the original story, Lilith in the Garden, which became Being Val, can you tell them kind of what the story is about without giving away anything about what the story is actually about? Because I've tried to praise this little sucker out without giving away too much. And I'm no good at that this, for this one. <laughs> well, it's, so it's about a woman who is a, she's a, a clone. Um, and she was, she, she died of cancer and her husband, who is a geneticist and scientist, uh, cloned her and brought her back to life. Um, but um, he cloned her in such a way because she had cancer that he cloned earlier samples from earlier in their relationship. So she comes back and she looks like she's in college and he looks like he's in his 40s. And, um, and so they try to reestablish a life together. Um, but she's because she has the memories of the original Val or Valerie. Um, she struggles to figure out, you know, is she still just Valerie or the fact that she looks different than she remembers looking is kind of this reminder of that, that she's this other thing, this, this clone. Um, and so it's about her coming to terms with what it means to be somebody that, that, or to think you're somebody that you're actually not. And, and it talks about these ideas of fate and destiny and like our, are, are our genetics, our destiny, just, just because you're genetically the same as someone even if you have their memories, like at what point do you become a different person? Um, and so it, the film very ambitiously in 15 minutes tries to explore that. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it is ambitious at a number of levels. And not, not only that, um, you are one of the three executive producers. Mm-hmm. You wrote the script. I did. And... And you're one of the three, one of the two and a half actors. Yes. (laughs) Because the third actor is a voiceover. She is, yes. So when it came to shooting it, you're directing yourself from in front of the camera. No, I had an actual director specifically because I did not want to direct myself because um, I... While I love wearing all these different hats, I don't want to have to do them at the same time. So, um, uh, you know, it's when I'm acting, I want to think about acting and be focused on that. I don't want to have to worry about, like, what do I look like? What is this shot doing? What is my scene partner doing? Like, I just want to be focused in my, my own head. And I know that there are plenty of people who direct themselves, but because this was my first film... Um, I didn't want to deal with that. And perhaps at, at some point in the future, I might consider directing myself, but I think that it's really valuable to have another eye because if I were the producer and the writer and the lead actor and the director, and like, you know, at some point it kind of just becomes a vanity piece and that's not what I wanted. I wanted to make sure that it was a film that held up on its own and spoke for itself. And so I got a director who believed in the project and um, who I trusted, and I I gave him my baby, and he directed it. He was in charge of the post production. Actually, I was not a, it, almost not at all involved in post production. I I don't even think I really gave. Notes. That was my next question. Was the <laughs> cut? 
you know, when it came to the cut, um, it can become a, a real tug of war between the writer, the, the producer and the editor as to what works, what doesn't work and how and why it works. Yeah. Well, in this case, my director was, um, I mean, he's a fantastic artist uh, who I greatly admire. He's way more experienced than I am when it comes to filmmaking. Um, his last short film won CineQuest, which is an Academy Award winning qualifying film festival. So I totally trusted him and his eye and I've known him for many years. Um, and so I just let him take it over. And um, honestly, it was for the best because I think, especially with my first film, you know, like when I watch it, I don't always like it. <laughs> you know, there's, I'll notice things that like, or I don't like how I look, or I don't like how I say a line, or I don't like, you know, and, and I didn't want it to be about that. So that's why I, I relinquished control of that part. Um, because I am a bit of a control freak. And I just I didn't I wanted to sort of stop nip that in the bud, stop stop that that instinct from taking over and make sure that it was a piece of art and not just, you know, something for me personally, you know, but that's a brilliant move on your part, because that means you're willing to step away from the things that could possibly turn it into what you don't want it to be. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, um, I think it's important to know your, know yourself as an artist. Um, and like I said, maybe one day I would consider directing myself, but for now, um, I, I filmed another film since then. And I also got a director just because, um, I don't know. I, I think it's important to have other people's meaningful input or have them in, in meaningful positions that, in which you have to respect their input so that it's not just a one-man show. Well, when you went to school and you got your BA at Tisch, mm -hmm. did you get your BA in filmmaking or just as, as a BFA in general? Uh, so the way that Tisch works is that... Um, so it is a BFA program, Bachelor of Fine Arts, and you right. have to choose a specialty. You can't just get like a general BFA. Um, and so my specialty was in um, dramatic performance. So acting uh, primarily for theater was my training. Um, and I never took any filmmaking classes, which I think is another reason why I shouldn't be directing films is because, <laughs> you know, I didn't study that. <laughs> um but I, I did take some, they have a dramatic writing program, and I did take some courses there, even though it was not my my major. Um, and the program that I was in, uh, Playwrights Horizons Theater School, um, so even Tish's acting program is broken down to, at that time, I think it was nine schools. Um, it changes. Um, and so the, the program, the acting school that I was in, is actually the school for directors. So I do have training as a theater director, um, but... It was a director's and actor's program. Um, so I do have directing training, but it's for theater. And I don't know the first thing about cameras or the difference between like a red or some other really fancy camera. I know nothing about that stuff. Which makes it perfect. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, I and, and we, we can go a hundred different ways at this point. But where, where I really want to go right now is... Where did this story come from for you? Because it's a cut. <clears throat> for, 
for me, watching this, uh, watching you doing this, watching Val, um, got to be real personal for me. And I, I, I think that's how you mean it to be. Well, I agree. I mean, I think all art should be personal. Um, but this, you know, funnily enough, I don't think I realized the inspiration for this until after I made it. <laughs> um, okay. I think that's fair to be honest with. But I really realized because I think at the time I was grappling with a lot of, and, you know, still do, but especially then I was grappling with a lot of feelings of, um, man, okay, so without getting too personal, basically, like, struggling with repeating um, sort of mistakes my parents had made in their lives and a lot of trying to fight those tendencies and ending up repeating it anyway. And so there was a lot of this sense of like coming from like, you know, whether it's my genetics or, you know, was nurtured into my personality, but these, these forces in my life that kept recurring and continue to recur in ways that I'm not choosing them to. And so there is a sense of fighting against um, or feeling like you're fighting against something that you have no control over. Um, and so I think that that was the, the inspiration for this is, I mean, obviously I took it to like an extra sci-fi level of clones and, and whatnot, but just this sense of like how much we control we have over our lives and the people that we become and how much of it is just kind of this subconscious processing that that happens and we're not even aware of. And sometimes I think sci-fi is a good place to take this. I've always said that science fiction gives us the ability to move outside of ourselves mm -hmm. and look at the world we're, we're around us and from a different point of view. And I think that's what you've done here. In fact, one of the other things I really love besides Val as a character and the growth that she had to go through through just through this 15 minutes, you do an amazing amount of growth for Val, but the husband, Theo, one of the things that I noticed is that, you know, at the center of this, while it is a science fiction piece, you have a deeply human story about a man who's unwilling to accept death and mourn the loss of his, of his original wife. And because he refuses to do this, you know, in normal, you know, in the normal non-science fiction, non-clone, non-copy non memories over world, you know, you, you, you find other ways, you know, to not have to let go of somebody. Mm -hmm. And in this science fiction world, you've given Theo this ability to try to bring his wife back instead of accepting that she's passed and moving on. And I think this is a brilliant piece an addition to what you have here with val and is there any i mean what was your inspiration for just adding that little piece in there um i'm not sure there was a particular inspiration i think that um i agree with you wholeheartedly and i think that the beautiful thing about science fiction is that it allows us to explore the possibilities of humanity and what we are potentially capable of, um, but also reveals, you know, some, I think good science fiction, honestly, good storytelling has to reveal something about human nature or what it's like to be human, a human being. 
Um, and so I think that when I was creating Valerie's story about, you know, the, this clone and how she came came back to life. And I think it was important to create a, the character that she wants to be there for, you know, the character that that she wants to live this life for and and why it's hard for her to not necessarily feel like she can just jump into a life that is no longer no longer exists for her because you know that person really died um and so i i think that i i agree i think not wanting to let go of the things we've lost is incredibly human and um the only difference with theo is that he had the ability to bring her back but even that is you know it's not the same as the original right so yeah yeah, um, I think so. several different versions of the script were actually Theo was struggling more with um, like the the that had more of a focus on Theo struggling with bringing back somebody who wasn't actually the person he lost, and that the way that Valerie, the fact that she was younger was a reminder of that that the real Valerie was actually deceased and that he couldn't get over it. Um, but you know, I only had fifteen minutes, so eventually I just. I wrote it to really focus in on Valerie's story because that was what was important to me as a storyteller. Um, but yeah, I, I think the character of Theo is incredibly human and, and relatable also. I definitely agree. Yeah. And there's so much more you could tell because I'm looking at Valerie in that position she's in. And it's like, like you said, she's no longer a person. She's deceased. So uh -huh. she, she's, almost trapped where she is in the house because she can't go out and be Valerie, um, you know, because the world thinks Val Valerie's dead, thinks Val is dead. So uh -huh. she's kind of trapped in this new life that Theo's created for him and, and unintentionally on Theo's part. I don't think he intends it to be that way. I think he wants everything to go back to the way it was, but neither, I don't think Theo realizes in the end that, it can't. And there's a there's a whole nother story you could have told there with like another half hour of film, you know, of, of, you know, having to try to reclaim that. And that's, again, what science fiction does wonderfully when it's told well, when the storytelling is done really well. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot more material to mine. I mean, we had to keep it to 15 minutes because um that's for film festivals. That's like the amount that people who know much more about these things than, than me say that like 15 minutes or less is, is the best for film festivals. Um, and so we had to keep it to that number, but um, yeah, I mean, there is so much more there to tell and so much more to mine, I think. And, and it's also inspired other ideas. I, I wrote a television pilot that is similar in theme, but with different characters Um so, yeah, I think that there's, there's a lot of room there for, for other ideas. There's also something that I think that, that really, <clears throat> really pissed me off. Oh, really? <laughs> and that is the arrogance of, you know, the arrogance that science can do whatever it pleases regardless of how it affects others i agree now, with that statement completely there's a line the i wish i could remember the line exactly but theo has this line he says to her 
where he literally tries to boil down emotion and love into these scientific terms. And Val just looks at him like, you know, it's like, what happened here? But yeah, there's just, I agree with you, Dome. It's there's, there's such an arrogance here in Theo. And yeah, I know what line you're trying to. I know the line you're talking about. I'm trying to remember. It's like uh, emotions are a summary of acquired stimuli, or something like that. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that she refuses. I mean, her inability to be what he needs, he sees as almost refusal. When. It's it has it has nothing to do with refusal. It simply isn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, there's there's a, a beautiful underlying allegory that you've written here that tells a, a lovely story about how stupid smart people (laughs) and that's really what it comes down to that the smarter people are the stupider they can become uh and 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 in that way this is absolutely brilliant storytelling and and you're to be congratulated for doing such a great job of it thank you um yeah i think theo is definitely um, uh, his character is definitely focused on trying to achieve a certain outcome that he wants and his refusal to even attempt to understand what she's going through is, uh, definitely a part of the journey they end up going on together. Um, but I, I, I agree. I think that, so he's named Theo because he's trying to play God, right? That's what mm-hmm. Theo means. Um, and so, and, I, and is certainly summarized by the last image of the film. Uh-huh. Where, are you going to tell the last says, image? Fuck it. We're going to it. One more. You know, here we go again. <laughs> I've learned nothing is what he says at the end of this film. Uh-huh. And it is just frustratingly real yeah but i think it goes back to to what um was said earlier about about his grief and how he just is unable to see past that and so he he just you know cannot he cannot envision a world in which he has to move on from this woman that he loves and so he's he's doing everything he can to get her back and don't love so deep he can't Go ahead, sorry, sorry, I was, I was, no, I was just going to say it's that the, in Theo, his love is so deep that he can't let go. He re, he refuses. He just he can't do what a lot of people manage to do in that situation, where is to just say, I love this person and now they're gone and now I have to let go. And he refuses to do that. Mm, yeah. I think a it, lot of people do, though. I mean, you know, you don't need to have the capacity to create a clone in order to not be able to let someone go right yeah and that's the beautiful thing about what you wrote here is that you know you've got the sci-fi twist where he can create his wife you know over again but yeah it's it's it tells us a very human story like you said it's storytelling great storytelling no matter what you set it in 
whether it's science fiction, whether it's fantasy, or whether it's just modern day or historical fiction, great storytelling is always great storytelling, and it digs into the very essence of the human condition. That's what I certainly always try to do. This conversation is really cool because, you know, I... I don't, I put a lot of layers into this that like are there in my brain, but you don't always know what's communicated to an audience or somebody who's not involved in the, in the creation process. So it's really cool to hear you guys like talking about this and being like, yeah, I did put that in there. Oh, I'm so glad you got that. You know, it's really nice. <laughs> I mean, the storytelling aspect of it is, is what makes, what makes the game. Okay. And whether the game is a, a short film, a short story, a, a picture, a sculpture, it doesn't matter. The, the matter is the emotional reaction that you're going to get from an audience. And what you've done is create a really, if, if, if an audience takes the time to work with the, the, the artist, which in this case is you, you've got a dual role here, both as the actor and the writer, uh, to work with the actor and the writer and, and, and give a damn about what's going on in this. There's, there's a wonderful multi-layered story going on here. I guess, I guess the one question that I'm asking, uh, not having actually asked it yet, is... <laughs> Uh, why did you choose science fiction to talk about grief? Uh, why not? I don't know. It's a great way to talk about it. <laughs> okay. No, I was just I, wondering. I don't, I, I don't have like a, a very eloquent answer for that. I love sci-fi. I think that okay. it's a great medium and it, it, it opens up possibilities because you can you can create scenarios that don't exist in the real world and I think that's really liberating as an artist that I can use my imagination to create anything I want um sci-fi and fantasy I think both allow for that um and so you're just you're able to express things that aren't limited to actual reality and that's just so much fun um and I think that sci-fi uh just just allows that and it just it allows a certain freedom um because anything you can imagine you can create and, um, you know, I, I've always loved sci-fi. I'm not like a, a huge shoot 'em up, you know, alien blasters kind of sci-fi person, but I have always loved, um, science fiction that, that grapples with, with real questions that, um, that, that creates, you know, a world of, of a future, you know, like I've always loved dystopian things and, you know, things like that, where it's like, this is the future we could have. And what does this look like? What, what is this world? You know, I, I always find that stuff really fascinating. What got you into it? Do you do you recall something specifically? I don't. Um, no, I don't. I don't recall like a first, you know, film or book or anything. I just have always, always been more drawn towards sci-fi and fantasy, both as a consumer of media and literature and as as a creator. Um, I don't know. Just always have. <laughs> So you've got a whole bunch of projects you've been working on since, since the pandemic hit. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and and so so what are you working on right now? What's going on? Well, um, 
on the daily, I am an audiobook narrator. So that's what I do um, every day. That's how I make my living is I narrate audiobooks. Um, I just narrated my 375th last week. and Holy uh, crap. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's. That's what I do like every day is I'm, I'm narrating audiobooks and, and I love narrating sci-fi and fantasy audiobooks, but uh, don't always get to. I narrate a wide variety of things. Um, and so that's I'm always working on on that. Um, and then I have another film that I shot, which is totally different <laughs> than this. It's a it's a comedy slash dramedy. Um, and uh it is at the very tail end of post-production. It went much faster because um, my my director was also editing it. So she was able to sort of knock it out really fast because she was committed to doing so. Um, she's actually also the editor for, for Being Val, which is great. Um, that's how I met her. Um, and so she sent me the latest of that. And so that'll be hopefully done shortly. Um, it's almost done, I think. Um, and I've always got scripts that I'm working on, um, uh, mostly TV pilot scripts or feature film scripts, and I uh, don't have anything I'm getting paid to write at the moment, but I'm always working on uh, scripts that I'm writing to either for fun or to, uh, to try to sell. So I've got a ton of those, always more ideas too. And um, yeah, that's creatively where I'm at at the moment. <laughs> Would you do us the favor of when something comes along that's about to come out that would be within our wheelhouse that you would drop us a line and say, hey, guys, here's something you might be interested. Can I come on and talk about it, please? Sure, I'd be happy to. Unfortunately, wait, do you mean like in terms of writing or like if I narrate a book or something. <laughs> in terms of anything. Okay. Yeah, I can definitely the, let you know about certain books because um, I do narrate sci-fi books somewhat frequently. Um, but uh, writing stuff, man, I would love to to get hired to write like sci-fi professionally. But uh, so far, all of my paid writing gigs have been like Hallmark kind of romance movies, um, which is funny because I really don't like those. <laughs> Um, like I, I hate, I don't watch them. I hate watching them. I think they're really You just write them really well, right? Um, but I keep getting hired to write them because my, my literary agent keeps putting me up for them because I'm a young woman. And so they just assume that I know how to write those. <laughs> um, so trying to, to do some sci-fi in that world, uh, you know, to get paid for, I mean. So. It, would be, it would be really cool to write a sci-fi movie for the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> oh my God. The alien on the block at Christmas. You know, <laughs> I feel like I've narrated that book, but. <laughs> I mean, I could see that almost. I mean, if they can do the good witch, they could do that. No? Yeah, you never know. Maybe I'll try to pitch them. <laughs> it has been an, an absolute blast getting to talk to you. Truly, Emily. Uh, I, I w literally waited four years. <laughs> well, thank you for waiting and for wanting to wait and for having me now. <laughs> and, and for putting together a really, really, really beautiful gem of, of, of a short film. 
it's a, it's a great independent film. Um, if, if it's going to be shown at a festival, please let us know so we can help promote it. So if our listeners are available and in the area, they can go see it. It is so, so, so worth seeing. It's, it's a great little, wonderful, poignant, fun, scary, uh, quick, give me another goddamn adjective. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I can't thank you enough for joining us tonight. Well, thank you for having me. And once it, um, I can't release it publicly yet because certain film festivals have requirements that they have to be the premiere for it. But once it premieres publicly and I can have a public link for you to share with your uh, listeners, I would be happy to send it to you. That would be freaking awesome. And and we have some ideas as well. (laughs) I'd love to hear them. All righty. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. You too. Have a good night, guys. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you can find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com and don't forget to try the Watts sauce. We have, we love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp and a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie shared pain as lessons, shared joy increased. Thus, do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. I know you hate people like me. I know I do.